Welcome to the Reunion Church Podcast. We're a community following Jesus, seeking the good of our city. We hope today's teaching is both challenging and encouraging. If we could be a resource to you on your spiritual journey, don't hesitate to reach out via our website at reunionnyc.com. All right. Thank you, family. We're going to go to Mark 14. And I'm reading from the New International Version today. We got a couple of verses. It's right here on the screen. Let's jump. All right. They went to a place. He's talking about uh, Jesus and the disciples. This is post-Last Supper. Um, That just concluded. We spoke about that last week. And now they are heading to their next destination. So they went to a place called Gethsemane. And Jesus said to his disciples, sit here while I pray. He took Peter, James, and John along with him. And he began to be deeply distressed and troubled. Jesus said, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death, he said to them. Stay here and keep watch. Going a little farther, he fell to the ground and prayed that, if possible, the hour might pass from him. Abba, Father, he said, everything is possible for you. Take this cup from me. Let's read this last sentence together. Yet not what I will but what you will. Amen. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. All right. So there was a time a few years ago, I was living in Queens and I knew my car, my beloved car, Gertrude, uh, was on the decline. And now I had Gertrude since 2015. It was my very first car, bought it on my own. Um, And it was, you know, they say you never forget your first car. Yo, I will never forget that car. I don't care what car I have from this point forward. I will not forget Gertrude, all right? I will not forget the muffler and the sound that that beloved muffler made. I will not forget when the AC stopped working and the heat cut out and we had to drive with the heat on to cool down the engine. Did y'all know that trick? If your heat like goes out and you want to cool down the engine, you turn up the heat. doesn't matter if it's July. It'll work. Trust me. Ask me how I know. But anyhow, so Gertrude was on her way out. And it was on the decline, and somehow I just knew that I needed a new car. And for whatever reason, the 2022 Kia Seltos just really struck my eye. I don't know what I was thinking at the time, but I just knew that I wanted a Seltos. Woo, what a decision. Um, But I I wanted it, so I was like, I'm going to go after it. And I prayed. I'm like, God, you know, I want to get rid of, I don't want to, I don't want the car to completely break down because, you know, I was in Queens, it was Jamaica, I had places to go, things to do, all that stuff. Um, so I was like, I didn't want the car to completely break down, but I was going to pray and pray that I was able to get a new car before the old one, uh, you know, kicked the bucket. So I spent hours, when I say hours, I mean hours doing research, and I watched countless YouTube videos on how not to get scammed by a car salesman, and I'm like, do I want to finance a car? Do I want to lease a car? Like, which decision am I going to make there? What's going to be the best um, uh, for the pros and the cons? And after trying to find the quickest and easiest way to sell my beloved car, Gertrude, for the most value, you know these people tried to offer me $225 for my car? $225, y'all. I was highly offended. Now, I know she was rough around the edges. She had some dings and some things that were wrong, but $225, that was just low. That was just really low. So 
I was frustrated. I decided to hold up on the whole buying a car thing, and I gave up on all those dreams of my Kia Seltos, and I was really disappointed, and I wasn't quite understanding why any of my efforts and why any of the uh, uh, things that I was doing and the research, it just did not pay off. But what I also didn't know is just a few months after that whole thing didn't work out that I would be unemployed. And I would have no way to pay for that very expensive lease that I would have taken out. And um, I also didn't know that a couple months after I was laid off that I would then be moving to Manhattan and my entire life would exist within a two block radius. So imagine had that actually come through, I would have had a whole big lease with no job, and then I would have ended up moving to Manhattan with a two-block radius walking everywhere. What would I have been doing with that big price tag on my back? Now, I definitely uh, didn't need that, but I couldn't quite see it at the time. But I'm glad that my will and my prayer was not what God allowed to come to pass. Or how about we talk about something a little less superficial, right? Um, around the same time, a few months before I was ma uh, married, like I said, I was unemployed. <laughs> so I needed to find a job. Um, kind of wanted the two and two to go together, you know? So I'm on this massive job hunt, and my prayer was just like, God, by the time I reach the altar, just please, like I really would love to have a job, and I would love to have a home, right? right? So a place that I can live with my wife. And if that wasn't the case, then the alternative was to, you know, live in my mom's attic, uh, with my newlywed wife and work for DoorDash and the catering company like I had been doing. And, you know, if that's where you're at, there's nothing wrong with that. But that's just not what I had hoped for and what I was praying for as, like, the start of that journey. So you thought I was praying for the Celtos. No, I was praying. <laughs> I said, God, I need a job. Like, I, I really, I really, really, really want this to work out. So I was online searching for gigs, and I found the perfect job. When I tell you it was perfect, y'all, it was exactly what I was looking for. It was the mixture of my higher education experience and my ministerial experience, working on a college campus, living in a residence hall, ministering to campus um, uh, campus students without having to do all the duties of the residence life, like emergency crisis stuff. I just got to minister to students. I'm like, yo, this is perfect. This is the job that I, I just know that this is the one for me. So I prayed. And when I tell you, I prayed fire down from heaven for weeks straight. I'm talking about nobody was getting sleep in the house that time. I'm marching up and down the room. Lord, I know. And I'm, mind you, this is not reunion, Brandon, that you see now. This is still Pentecostal, like, full-blown, like, go for it, Brandon. So I'm going ham in my room. And my mom is probably like, ooh, I hope he gets this job too because I don't know how much of this I'm going to be able to take, right? So I prayed and I'm in these interviews and I'm like, uh, answer number one. Cool, cool. Hit me with another one. Uh, answer number two. And I did not get the job. I didn't get the job. Made it to the final round, went through all of those things and I they were like, sorry, um, we're going to go with somebody else. So I said, okay, cool. And I was confused. I was crushed. I was like praying to God, like, God, what is this all about? And then I'm like, all right, I'm going to trust you. And then the miraculous happened. The same job at the same school opened up a second time. And I said, yes, Lord, I know this is you. So 
revved up the engine, went for it a second time, did not get the job a second time, second crushing blow, three weeks before I'm supposed to be married, we are desperate. And we are asking some questions. And we are really wondering, like, what, what did I see? Like, what, what, what's going on here? I really was really broken down to myself. So ask Rachel, it was rough. <laughs> it was rough. Um, but let me tell you something. I moved on, and God showed me that he was faithful. And he did open a door for another opportunity, the opportunity that I, um, I'm, I'm in right now. And the road that he opened, the door that he opened with, opened to me, has blessed me in ways that I could not even imagine. Now, along this path of being in this new opportunity, and I'm not talking about reunion, it's a different one, <laughs> but the path to getting there has included some uphill battles, some challenges that have really uh, brought me to a breaking in the body of the soul, a stretching of my faith to limits that I did not even know was possible. And I have found myself, honestly and truly speaking, uh, I find myself praying, Lord, if there is another way for you to accomplish whatever it is that you're trying to do here, please, let's do that instead. Let's go the easy route. Let's try something else. I know what you're showing me while I'm in this space. I've seen what you've done so far in me and through me. I see the impact on the community. I see how things are changing. But God, this is grueling. This is hard. Is there another way for you to do what you're doing here in this space other than the one that's causing me such pain and difficulty? Now, in both of those situations, I was both highly frustrated and disappointed, and there was one glimmering hope that made this all bearable. And as painful as it was to say that, each and every time I prayed for the outcome that I wanted, I concluded my prayer by saying this, Lord, if you want something different from me than this, make it clear and lead me to what you truly want from me. That was the thing that I was holding on to. I was like, Lord, this is what I'm praying for. I want to get out of here. Lord, please change it. But if there's something else that you have in mind, make it clear and prepare my heart for it. Sometimes the hardest thing to do is to ask God for what he truly wants from us. That's a pretty big ask. Like, what if you really want something to be one way and God's answer is just no? You might feel disappointed. You might even feel angry at God in those moments. Or, or perhaps it might be difficult to pray that prayer because life seems like it would be unbearable if things don't play out the way you imagined it going in your head. And you will find yourself asking, God, is there another way to get where we need to be other than this road of pain and suffering? Is there another way than the difficult road? Jesus, do you even understand what I'm going through here? And to answer that question, I would argue is yes, he does. We see an example of this in our text for this week in Mark chapter 14. Jesus has come face to face with the reality that what's to come might be filled with difficulty, pain, and suffering. And he finds himself calling out to God for a different alternative. But ultimately, Jesus prays for God's will to be done. God wants us to pray for his will to be done in our lives even if it means enduring hard trials. What did Jesus do? Let's look at the text again. Verse 32. It says, They went to a place called 
Gethsemane, and Jesus said to his disciples, sit here while I pray. He took Peter, James, and John along with him, and he began to be deeply distressed and troubled. So Jesus, he's in the lower part of East Jerusalem in the Mount of Olives, and the word Gethsemane, that's the garden, that's the name of the place where they were. Gethsemane means olive press. So uh, olives would be harvested here, and they would be crushed right, and mashed down for the purposes of making oil. And this is also the place where Jesus would go, and he would feel and experience a feeling of being crushed and being pressed and being uh, uh, going through that excruciating experience in the garden. And the Greek word used for that excruciating or deep distress and troubling is ektambeo, which means to be thrown into or struck by utter terror. So this wasn't just like a... a easy like feeling or like a building anxiety he was thrusted he was thrown catapulted into a deep grief distress feeling troubled and feeling anguish he was utterly terrified and he cries out he says uh, to his disciples my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death he said to them stay here and keep watch Jesus knew that his crucifixion was coming up and he was deeply sorrowful. He was about to experience something unfath unfathomable and unthinkable for somebody that has his nature. What is the nature that I'm talking about? Jesus, he's fully God and he's fully human. Two pieces of his identity that are in full manifestation in this moment. So he's human, right? He can feel what we feel. He experiences what, he ex what, what we experience. And he's about to go through a pain and a torture that he had never experienced in his life, but only heard of through horror stories or had been an eyewitness to, because you know crucifixions were a very public execution and a very public display in that time of capital punishment for all to see and witness. So he might have seen one before, he definitely has heard of one before, but now he's thinking about the fact that him, his human self, is about to bear this thing that he can't even think about or conceive. But not only is he fully human, he's also fully God, right? So he is part of the Trinity. He's God made manifest here on earth. And he was about to experience this torture, this pain for our sins. Something that he had never experienced. Something that he had never done. Something that he knows nothing of. But he was about to bear that in his body. So a double whammy of negative, uh, a double-sided coin of just pain and unfathomable, unthinkable grief. You can imagine that's why Jesus said that he felt sorrowful to the point of death. There's no sugarcoating that, y'all. That's heavy, right? Has anybody ever felt sorrowful to the point of death? Have you ever felt so overwhelmed to the point that you literally thought that you might die, that you might not make it? Let me tell you about this story about this time I went to the most horrific place and experience that I've ever had at Disney World. <laughs> Y'all, I'm a borderline adrenaline junkie, okay? I like a good thrill, I like a good chase, I have some things on my bucket list that my wife is like, please change your mind about that, but I wanna do it, I wanna try it, right? White water rafting for my birthday, maybe, please. But I really wanna do those things, right? But there are also some things that I'm kinda chicken about. So I go to Disney World of all places, right? With like. Mickey Mouse. <laughs> and I'm at MGM, and there's this ride that you probably heard of called the Tower of Terror. 
I love amusement parks, I love rides, but there are certain things I don't mess with. And certain rides, like those death drop rides that shoot you up in the air, first of all, they strap you in, all right? And then they shoot you up in the air, and then they just drop you, like from the sky to the ground. It's just torture. You know, you know anybody know a ride I'm talking about where they say they fling you up in the air? They, so all of my friends were going on the Tower of Terror, and they're like, oh, Brandon, you should come. Oh, Brandon, you should come. And I'm looking at them like, I'm not going. So I didn't. I was the glorified bag holder. Everybody loved me. I'm like, oh, no, no, I'll hold the bag. Me and my little funnel cake are going to sit right here while you all go on the ride. And they went on the ride, and they get stuck. Like, they come down off the ride. They get stuck. They, for some reason, think it's funny. They all got fast passes over it, and they're like, oh, we should do that again. I'm like, did you not learn from the last time you got stuck on the ride? So they go, they get stuck, and they're like, Brandon, we're going to do it again. You totally have to come. So by then, you know, I'm, you know, I work up a little bit more courage, and I'm like, okay, I can do it. I can do it. Y'all, I couldn't do it. I get on the line. I did do it eventually. But I get on the ride, and this anxiety comes over me. I literally thought, I'm like, this is not going to end well. Like, you get on the thing, and it's all Twilight Zone themed. So they're like, do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do. Welcome to the Tower of Terror, right? And you're walking up, and as you get closer, there are, like, these people dressed as bellhops in a, like, creepy hotel, and they're like, enjoy your ride. And, like, you're, like, freaking out, and you get closer, and you get closer, and as I'm getting closer and closer, my heart is literally beating out of my chest. My stomach is in knots. There was, like, this big vase. I left the line to run over to the vase because I thought that I was not going to make it, right? And, like, long story short, I get on the ride, they strapped me in with a seatbelt, no harness, a seatbelt that I had to share with another human. They fling me up in the air, then they drop me to the ground, and they fling me in the air, and then they drop me to the ground like four times. It was terrible. They call it the Tower of Terror for a reason. All that to say, I thought I was going to die. Clearly, I did not die. The will of God said otherwise. Thank you. But I thought I was going to die. I was agonizingly terrified to the point of death. And if that's like the most excruciating terror that I can experience, I imagine that Jesus experienced something 15 times, probably more, more excruciatingly terrifying. And he prayed to God in that moment in the garden. So not only was he going there to pray, but he told his three friends, Peter, James, and John, to sit here and keep watch. Why did Jesus say this? Why was he asking the three of them to do that? He was telling them to be vigilant and on the lookout for the people that were coming to arrest him. Because Jesus knew that his betrayer and the guards were on his way, and he needed his friends to have his back. He just needed a few people to cover him and to look out for him and to be watchful while he was going to his place of intimacy and vulnerability with the Father at his time of need. Spoiler alert, they failed. Uh, when Jesus came back from praying, he realized that all of his disciples had fallen asleep and had been sleeping. And there may be times when we can't look to anyone to push us through. And in those times, we can trust God in his goodness to lead us through no matter what the situation may be. Let's keep going. Verse 35, it talks about him going into the garden. It says, going a little farther, he fell to the ground and prayed that if possible, the hour might pass from him. So Jesus, he falls to the ground, and his falling to the ground communicates two things to us. One, it communicates the depth of his anguish. His body 
right, was consumed by this terror. It was consumed by this grief. So he enters into the garden. He takes a few steps, and he actually falls face down, and the weight literally crushing him to the very uh, core of his soul. So we see the depth of his anguish, but we also see, too, the posture of his heart. So Jesus literally throwing himself to the ground is a display of our Savior that postured himself humbly and lowly before our God in utter desperation. It was a reflection of what was internalized. The communication, the message was expressed outwardly and bodily through his posture. So even in... um, our settings, as we communicate to God, as we are worshiping, as we're speaking, as we're in uh, worship atmospheres, whether it's in church or at home, you can even communicate bodily um, how you display your feelings or what's going on internally as you're expressing that outward to God. How do you communicate that? Do you bow? Do you kneel? Uh, Do you smile to communicate your joy? Uh, It's important to just realize your body language is also included in your life of prayer. So what did he say? He cried out and he said, Abba, Father, everything is possible for you. Take this cup from me, yet not what I will, but what you will. So Abba is the Aramaic word for father. So he's saying father. He's calling from a place of relationship, calling from a place of need, calling from a place of of homeship. That's not a word, but I made it up. Right? He's like, Abba, my father, I need you. And this prayer is called a prayer of petition, right? a prayer of request, when you're asking God um, for that which you need. And Jesus models a prayer of petition in what I think is, is a perfect form. If you're ever wondering, like, how do I go to God to ask him for the things that are on my heart? How do I go to God to ask him for the things that I need? Uh, Jesus breaks it down perfectly in these three ways. He breaks it down in the form of respect request, and release. So that prayer, that simple sentence is respect, request, and release. So the first is respect, honor. Everything is possible for you. Before he asked for a thing, before he asked and made any request known to the Father, Jesus started off by saying, everything is possible with you. He honored God. Jesus is acknowledging God for who he is. So even in this moment, when you think about the things that you go to God for on behalf of, you start off that prayer by acknowledging God for who he is first. Uh, God, you are amazing. Everything is possible for you. You are a good and loving father who cares for the needs of his children. You have overcome the world, even though in this world we have many troubles. All power and authority has been given to you. You came through for me before, and I'll come through you. you'll come through for me again. As we go before God in our anguish and in our distress, we can start off that prayer by grounding that faith practice in acknowledging God for who he is. And then when we approach God with that honor, with praise and respect, uh, we then move on to the next step in the request, in the petition process, which is the request. And he asked specifically, Father, take this cup from me. Take this cup. What did he mean by the cup? So the cup is an Old Testament analogy for the, the judgment and the wrath of God. So drinking from the cup of wrath is something that you see as a motif throughout Scripture. And Jesus knew that he was about to bear the wrath and the judgment of God in his body on behalf of the entire world through an agonizing death on the cross. So he was simply asking God, is there another way? 
take this cup, take this uh, uh, wrath, this judgment, this experience that I'm about to have and move it because I'm not trying to do all of this. God, please fix this. Jesus, do something. God, I, I don't want this to be the case. Has anybody ever prayed a prayer like that before? I know I have. Uh, it's okay for us to ask God to change his mind. Crazy concept, right? It is okay for us to see a thing, for us to experience a thing, and for us to be able to ask God, do something else. I know you're sovereign. I know you have a will, but please, God, have mercy. Change the course that this is going in. That is an okay prayer to pray. We're able to ask that. But as we ask for the things that we want from the desires of our heart, the yearnings from our soul, we can't leave it there. It's important for us to seal that how Jesus did. And uh, the third step of the process is release. I've just listed out all of these things. Like, God, I've poured out my soul. I have these yearnings. I have these requests. Now I release that. Not my will, but your will be done. Regardless of my desires, I choose your ultimate desire for me, God. I know that your will is greater than mine. For some of you, that might seem like, oh, you're just settling, right? You're just settling for whatever it is that life throws your way, or you're saying God throws your way, or you're just saying, oh, not my will, not yours. But it's not settling. Settling says, God, I really want this, but I, I guess I'll take that instead. That's settling. And this, that approach suggests that the will that you've made up in your mind is the actual best result. Like, this is what I want because I actually think that this is what's best for me, and I, I know what I need, so I want this, but I guess if, you're, if that's what you want, then fine, so be it. That's settling. But what this release prayer is inviting you to do is not settle, but surrender. And surrendering says, God, this is what I'm praying for, but I acknowledge that you know best for my life. I acknowledge that your direction is good despite what I see in front of me. I acknowledge that your plan, your direction, your will for my life, though it might be uncertain, though it might be unclear, though it might include some pain and some uphill battles, I know that I can trust you to lead me on the right path. And I surrender what I think and I, I surrender my desires that I've just communicated to you. Surrender says you have enough faith to ask but you won't try to control the situation because you know who is actually in control of all things. That is surrender. That is release. And it's also extremely scary. Why is it scary? Because as you can see, God did not take the cup from Jesus. His will was not to remove it, but God instead gave him the capacity to bear the cup. Gave him the capacity to move forward with the purpose that God outlined for his life. Let's look at Luke. The same story in the Gospel of Mark is also present in the Gospel of Luke. And it says a lot of the same things, but Luke has a special nugget in there that we don't see in, in Mark or Matthew. And it reads, He withdrew about a stone's throw away from them, knelt down, a uh, stone's throw beyond them, knelt down and prayed, Father, if you are willing to take this cup from me, Yet not my will, but yours be done. An angel from heaven appeared to him and strengthened him. And being in anguish, he prayed more earnestly, and his sweat was like drops of blood falling to the ground. So Jesus is in the garden, praying with great anguish, and God sends an angel to strengthen him. Not to take away the inevitable death, not to take away the anguish of it all, 
but to give Jesus the strength to go through it. And I know that's not the answer that we want to hear. We want to hear the story that, like, when we pray to God, God is just going to eliminate all of the difficulty. God's going to eliminate all the pain. But sometimes God's answer to our prayer is to step in it with us and make it so that we can make it through. And even while his friends were sleeping and fell asleep, Jesus asked and said, sit here and watch while I go pray. He did that three times. And each time Jesus went away to pray, he would come back. His friends were sleeping. He said, wake up and keep watch. He would go away and pray, God, take this cup from me. He'd go back and his friends would be sleeping. He said, wake up, keep watching. He'd go back a third time and say, God, take this cup from me. And he'd go back and their friends would be sleeping again. So even when people here on earth, the people that we rely on and lean on, don't come through for us, and they're not able to keep up and do their part, that does not mean that God has forgotten or has failed. He'll even send the angels to care for you. So, real talk, a lot of us are tired of being strong, and we don't want no angel to strengthen us. We want to be delivered. We want to be brought out. We want to be rescued. We don't want to hear the story that God will give you more strength. No, I want him to give us a door so we can get out. But sometimes God's answered prayer is more faith, more strength that leads you to more prayer for his true will to be done. (sighs) Deep breath. So family, I think what made it possible for Jesus to pray that vulnerable and scary prayer is that Jesus knew that whatever the methodology, God's ultimate plan was to reconcile all mankind back to God through his death, and to restore creation back to the way God intended life to be through his return. Through the agony of the cross, all those who are lost have the ability to be reconciled to God through faith in Jesus Christ. And when our faith is in Jesus, we know that the ultimate will of God is for there to one day be a restoration of all things uh, when Jesus returns back to us, and that in the meantime, we are being renewed daily, and we see glimpses of hope, glimpses of joy, glimpses of restoration, glimpses of the pieces coming back together, and those are all small, fragmented snapshots that will be intermittently interrupted by the brokenness and fallenness of this world, but the brokenness of this world is not our focus and our hope, because when we have faith in Jesus, we have an understanding that the renewal that we experience in part will be complete at the return of Christ. And that is the pain that says, God, I know that this storyline that I'm living is only a piece of the story and that ultimately your Christ, the return of Christ will bring it all together. So when your hope is grounded in an internal restoration, you can pray your will be done with confidence because it means that you might be crushed, but it doesn't mean that you're cursed. Your wants may not be here in your hands, but his will is guiding your life. And faith in Jesus provides a confident assurance that in spite of the highs or lows we experience in life, eternal restoration is his will, and daily renewal is our promise. One commentator put it so beautifully, um, and we'll wrap up on this thought. He said, a sinless man battled Satan, sin self and temptation in a garden and lost, saying, my will, not yours, be done. And the loss impacted all mankind. The second sinless man 
battled Satan, sin, self, and temptation in another garden and won, saying, not my will, but yours be done. And its impact touches people from every tribe and tongue. And because Jesus followed the will of God to go to the cross, we have eternal hope in our salvation. So I encourage everyone today to pray the scary prayer of your will be done in my life and fully surrender to Christ each day. Let's pray. Father, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Have your way in our life. This message, this idea, this sermon will resonate for different people in different ways, Lord. But what I can say is that we all have experienced and probably are experiencing things that we need you to step into. We all, every single one of us, have requests on our heart, things on our mind that we have laid out before you. We all might be experiencing things that just don't quite make sense, and we need you to step in, and we have a, th a way that we would want you to work it out. We have in our mind and our heart ways and petitions and requests that we would love for you to move upon in a specific way, but we know that we are not God. We cannot see all things. We don't know the future. You have a full storyline that you can see that we only see in fragmentum. So God, your will is good. Your will is perfect. You are good at what you do. You are a faithful shepherd. You are a good and loving father. You, God, are capable of navigating things in a way that is far beyond anything that we can see. So, Father, I pray that you meet us in the, the midst of our questioning, of our discerning, of our despair. You meet us, Lord God, right in the place of our requesting and our petitioning. You meet us in the things that we express that nobody knows about. We pray that you meet us, dear Heavenly Father, in those intimate moments where we are feeling crushed as Jesus felt crushed to the point of death in the Garden of Gethsemane. Lord, we cry out. There are some of us that can very clearly see a thing that we're asking you to move a cup that you're asking for us to not have to bear. Lord, some of us are bearing sickness in our body. Some of us are bearing brokenness in our heart or our relationships. Some of us are experiencing uh, a disruption, dear Heavenly Father, in the spaces that we enter. Some of us are experiencing injustices on a daily basis. Some of us are experiencing pain and depression and anxiety. Some of us have a multiplicity and complexity of issues, Lord, but you are God over them all. So move upon them and through them how you want to move, God. Yes, we have our requests. Yes, we have our ideas. But Lord, your will be done, not ours. Your plan is good. Your plan is perfect. Even in the pain of it, even in the confusion, your will be done. This is our prayer. And Lord, I pray that you give us the courage to be able to release and allow your plan to be made known. In Jesus' name, amen.